everybody and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. We're coming rain, shine, or anything in between. We're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside Connor Balthazor. And we're in the same room again. Finally. Finally, after all summer. And this is probably, it's going to be one of the last times for a while, huh? Yeah, I say finally as if, yeah, we're definitely not going to be able to do this much, if at all. Not this next year, yeah, no. For the next year. But uh, yeah, it's nice to be in the same room. And with all that said, let's just dive right into it because the main thing that we're having, we're going to cover today, is there's not really any recruiting news going on, be it in football or basketball. So we're just going to go over the offensive media interviews or just interviews, if you know what the word interview means, <laughs> and don't write it twice in the script. But in order that we're going to go through, we're going to go over Kleiman's presser. And then Connor Riley's pre- nope, yep, Connor Riley's presser. Then Brian LePack, then Thad Ward. Brian Anderson is in there somewhere. Uh, <laughs> he didn't say much. He didn't say much. And then of course the wacky segment of the week. But let's go ahead and start from the very top. We're going to start with the very top of the coaching chain, and that is head coach Chris Kleiman. And the first thing that I noticed with him. And this was just throughout the entire interviewing processes. He seemed genuinely excited and happy, which with Kleiman, typically whenever he meets the media, you get his more, you know, stoic persona. You know, he's just kind of there to answer the questions, do his job and then leave. But he opened the presser and he was actually, he was pretty excited. He was pretty jacked. Now, I'm not saying that he was Jerome Tang levels because I'm not sure anyone is. No. But, (laughs) you know, he was excited to be there. Yeah. Which I think is a pretty good indicator of how he feels for the season, but we'll probably yeah. just trade off on notes here. Yeah. Um, but anything else to say about him being happy and excited? Um, definitely seemed less stressed yeah. than the past, which I think is telling. Like twenty twenty, by the end of that season, it looked like he had served a presidential term. Mm-hmm. And but uh, he did mention um, that uh, there's been more competition uh, this year than any other year that he's been here, which is interesting to note given that kind of one of the big weaknesses with the, the team this year has been the supposed lack of depth. Yeah. Um, so it's at least reassuring to hear that Kleinen uh, is feeling um, solid about the level of competition. Yeah. Which, I that really was my primary concern, was just the last lack of depth. Because the one through line, I'm pretty confident in every position we have, you know, at least the top half of the Big 12 person playing there. Yeah. You know, except for safeties, because I don't know who's playing at safety. <laughs> right. Still don't. But, yeah, it's just exciting to hear about that competition. And a couple of people got shouted out at the beginning of the presser. Obviously, DJ Giddens. I honestly think that DJ Giddens probably got the most mentions out of literally everyone else across all the press conferences. Which yeah. makes sense, because everyone already knows Deuce, and DJ's, DJ Giddens is kind of the wild card. But he's impressed with DJ Giddens at running back, and then VJ Payne and Jordan Perry, both at safety, are making waves as true freshmen in the safety room, which I really don't envy being true freshmen on that depth chart. Not at all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, he, he mentioned that it's a confident team, which isn't, like, overly telling, I feel like, just because I, I feel like any coach that doesn't say that is honestly more concerning. Yeah. But it, it's it's still something I need to say. Um, but yeah, it is also nice to hear him 
uh, talk about DJ Giddens at running back because he's someone that I just feel like there's been whispers about. Not to go back to it, there's just nothing to say for my line. Like, <laughs> but it, it is very reassuring to hear a lot about DJ Giddens at running back because like he, he there's been whispers like thrown out every once in a while. It feels like from people in the know where they're like DJ's like kind of the real deal and. Uh, it's good to start hearing more said publicly because that's probably telling that he's really starting to develop a little bit more. Yeah, which is really important, which we'll talk about a little bit later whenever we talk about Brian Anderson. I found him on the, on the outline. <laughs> there he is. But outside of them, he also mentions that Nate Matlick could have a big year just because of how he's developed and come along, adding a couple, I think he said 10, 10 pounds of muscle, which... I said it at the beginning of last year that Nate Matlick was probably the most technically sound pass rusher last year. And people talk, oh, he only had three and a half sacks. A couple of those, like you mentioned on Blitz Month for the Bosco's Boys, they've got to get that one shout out per episode in so that way the, the payment hits. He's not paying us. <laughs> <laughs> that is a joke. The paying us thing in general. Anyway. But anyway. <laughs> Nate Matlick, you, like, he got a couple of sacks, but they crossed the line of scrimmage during the process, and also because the NCAA's stupid forced fumbles don't count. So he had a mm-hmm. sack against Baylor that I don't think counted because he forced a fumble. Uh, or it's forced fumbles across the line of scrimmage. Oh, yeah. So, you know, and he forced one against Texas Tech that went up, uh, beyond the line of scrimmage. So mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had a sack, or would, would be sack in that game late where he took the quarterback down behind the line, but then pulled him down onto his body, and when he rolled over, then he ended up in front of the line by, like, a foot, maybe. Yeah. So it was effectively a sack. It was a fourth down, so it didn't really matter. Yeah, it didn't matter. It didn't make a name difference, yeah. but... Yeah, I... What do you think about Nate Matlick? Um, I feel like you and I are at the point where he's not really a dark horse. No. But I, I think the general fan base probably still isn't completely aware of Nate Matlick and the year that he's geared up to have um granted it's probably going to be another year where you know he, he looks a lot more impressive than his numbers um but his numbers aren't showing and a lot of that's just going to be because of all the mouths to feed and the uh defensive line it's gonna be one of the strongest rooms on the team at the one line and arguably the two line yeah um especially Khalid duke gets fully healthy um but uh, matt like i i would be almost completely positive that he will surpass the three and a half sacks he had last year oh yeah um he'll probably be pushing double digits i would think yeah especially with all the one-on-ones he's probably going to get whenever you have felix huggy bear him and khalid duke on the same field yeah it's gonna be next to impossible to take care of everybody on our defensive line so matlick should be the beneficiary of uh maybe fewer looks at times when you have big names uh, like felix and khalid duke but the next two are related to receivers and also yours. Yeah, yeah. RJ Garcia uh, was noted as being in the top group, which again he's kind of been like the uh, the darling of the offseason. I feel like he's been the beneficiary of most of the uh, questions where they say who's a young guy that's breaking through and who's a young guy has been really impressive. And he's someone that almost every coach it feels like has brought up at some point. Which like at some point, you know, like. They're just like going to be telling the truth there. Like yeah. I said, beyond, it's beyond coach speak at a certain point. Yeah. And RJ Garcia is probably entering that group where, uh, you know, he, he is just going to have a good year 
where for like he's probably the breakout guy in the offensive room this year. Uh, it's great that we're going to have a receiver, uh, hopefully, perform really well hopefully. this year. Um, just uh, to have kind of more of a youth movement there because we have our top three guys are all seniors that are running out of eligibility. Yeah. But you can also take the next one because yeah. it's related. Yeah, but Kleiman, he thinks that the uh, receivers are going to be a strength of the team. Um, which is an interesting statement to make because I, th- I don't think many people were penciling them in as a strength of the team, and probably more often than not, we're penciling them in as the weakest room on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. Um, so that was a little surprising uh, to hear. But and again, you know, bringing a new receivers coach, uh, bringing transfer Jaden Jackson, RJ Garcia is performing at a high level, and then continued strength and development. It's not too hard to see, I suppose, if you squint. Um, I'll believe it when I see it, but it is telling that Kleiman would go out of his way to mention them as a strength of the team. Yeah. And they're going to move Deuce around a lot, just, you know, flex him out at receiver. We've kind of been theorizing that that was going to happen anyway. And because we kind of knew that, I'll take the next two as well because they're also kind of related to each other. In terms of the schemes, the defensive line has been moved around a lot, so... You'll have, play, he's specifically one that comes to mind is Jalen Pickle. It's where we've constantly called him a 4-3 defensive tackle or a 3-4 defensive end. He basically said the exact same thing for for what Jalen Pickle is going to be. D. Hence is going to be another interior guy. Huggy Bear is obviously going to be the nose. No, he even mentioned Stufflebean as being an inside-out kind of guy. So they've just kind of been moving people around to see where they can put them, whether it be a 4-down front or a 3-down front. Which is fine. That's, you know, you expect that when you're dealing with the second year in a new defensive scheme. But the offensive scheme is in its first new year, and they're moving tight ends around a lot. And something that was said later was, yeah, tight ends and fullbacks are kind of interchangeable with one another. So don't be surprised if you see Ben Sinnott playing fullback, H-back, and then wing tight end three yeah. plays back to back or if you see him get split out wide like we did in the bowl game yeah so that wouldn't be surprising either yeah it'd be maybe a little bit surprising but the, bit, but <laughs> but we have seen it before um another thing that he went out of his way to mention was that khalid duke will be healthy uh which is interesting he was very adamant that he, was, he would be yeah, healthy. That was a very absolute statement that he will be healthy. So it's safe to assume that the injury is probably just about healed at this point and is probably getting back in game shape, which for an injury that took as long to recover from as Khalid had, you know, that, that makes sense. That tracks that it, there would be some time needed to get back to his old self. Yep. And then you can take the next point as well. We'll just take twos at this point. Sure. Um, basically said in more words than this that the D line is really good. Yeah. Um, we've we've said that already a little bit, but it, it's going to be one of the best rooms on the team uh, as part of an already really great defense. Um, so not surprising that he'll be uh, bragging on the D line a little bit with yeah. as many weapons as they have, especially if Khalid Duke is going to be healthy. That D line is going to be. One of, if not the best, in the entire conference. Yeah, I felt stupid last week because I forgot Jalen Pickle existed. <laughs> I forgot Jalen Pickle existed, and I forgot Jaden Jackson existed. And both were conversations about D-line and wide receiver depth. 
That's a shame. That's really a shame, and it could have happened to anybody, but it just happened to happen to me. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of offensively, we're going to take a detour here to talk about Katori Levison, or just KT, because it's shorter. He's playing his best football right now, and Andrew Linegang, or Linegang, Riley pronounces it (laughs) Linegang. Yeah. The pronunciation guy said the Langang. I don't know what it is anymore. Everyone's telling me different things. But both are pretty good and really good, actually. KT specifically playing his best football since he's been here, which he's been here pretty solid amount of time. I think he's fifth year, sixth year, maybe? He's a fifth or sixth year guy. So it's good to hear that he's finally getting into his groove. So that way, you know, maybe there will be a little bit more competition for that left tackle or left guard spot than we originally thought. Because we originally kind of had it signed and sealed that Lane Gang would be the left tackle and BB would be the left guard. Yeah, that, that's where I was as well. And I think most people were. But if KT has been playing as well as it seems to be indicated, um, then it's not really set in stone at all that uh, Lane Gang will be uh, the left tackle. In fact, it may still end up being BB, and we see KT at left guard. Yeah. Um, but then again, you know, uh, it's it's really tough to say right now, especially with you know some of our earlier predictions seemingly either not being quite ready to be true or just uh, not being true at all. So yeah. But uh, Crew Jackson uh, playing Sam and Will right now, I thought was interesting because we saw him once last year in the bowl game and, oh that's right because we had the yeah because all the backups went in and i think he played sam uh for that which he's six five like 200 pounds soaking wet and he uh but is apparently also practicing at will now which i found to be interesting yeah flexibility at that second line and, and he also line. yeah and he also mentioned desmond pernell is at sam as well uh which uh, he came in as a safety, I believe, as a redshirt freshman now, and uh, got moved down to linebacker, getting the Sean Robinson treatment. This is a Wayne Jones treatment. And the Wayne Jones treatment. We we love putting safeties a linebacker. <laughs> uh, so I'll take these last two here, because they're, well, they're not at all related to one another, but they're kind of short. So Omar Daniels is probably going to be CB3, at least that's the way it sounded. And he said that he's actually... He would have been there last year if not for the fact that he was hurt for most of the year throughout fall camp and only really got healthy towards the back end of the year. And I think the boldest thing he said during his entire press conference was that Omar Daniels is going to push Julius and Echo, which, like, that would be absolutely amazing because that would mean we would have three all-Big 12 yeah. corners. It would be really surprising. Yeah. No disrespect to Omar Daniels, it's just... If he is that good, that's insane. Yeah, no, that, that would be excellent for the cornerback room, the defense as a whole, uh, this whole year. Uh, so I'm not going to sit here and predict that. Yeah. But, you know, it, it is telling that Kleiman's willing to say that. So that means probably Omar Daniels is going to make a bigger splash this year than previously expected. Yeah, he may even be CB3 over right. Yeah. Which I, I would not have predicted. I would not have either. But... Then the final thing that Kleiman really said of note is that Kleiman says that they need Giddens, DJ Giddens, to compete for that running back two spot. Said it needs to be a competition between him and Anthony Frias. And 
in order to push each each other, yeah, I imagine that that's probably the best policy to go for as a fly lands directly on the back of my neck. <laughs> that's probably something that you want to go for because more competition is always preferable to less in terms of football playing. It, you know, just having those two constantly vying for that position, I think will be a very interesting battle to watch. I think it'll be one that is constantly in flux. So I think it'll depend week to week who really RB2 is. Right. And it could be just a 2A, 2B situation like mm-hmm. Irvin and Jacardier was before the OU game. Yeah, yeah I, I think that they would prefer to have um, multiple backs they can throw in whenever. Yeah. Um, which Brian Anderson, uh, getting into his interview now, uh, he did um, first thing mention uh, DJ Giddens and Anthony Frias as pretty much the two sole competitors for a running back two is what it sounded like, which again, that's kind of what we expected. Um, and then really other than that, he honestly did not say much. He had like a five or six minute press conference, but most of what was asked about him was, is Deuce good and him saying yes and, <laughs> yeah, in, in, in various in, different in ways. various different languages. Yeah, so there there isn't a lot to gain from Brian Anderson's uh, press conference, just that... Deuce Vaughn makes life difficult for defenses is really nice for quarterbacks to have does many things and is a good example. Yeah. yeah, And is a good example and works hard, which we already knew most of that. Yeah. um, Giddens and Frias uh, again, uh, I imagine we see both of them um, at this point, given that it seems like they've pretty boldly emerged as the two choices for the backup running back spot. Yeah. So like you said, I think that we're going to see a 2A, 2B sort of thing going on uh, with Giddens and Frias, where maybe, which I don't even want to predict who we'd see first, because Frias does have to... Uh, learn the entire playbook. Yeah, he does have to learn the whole playbook. So he probably has a way to go, a ways to go there. And then Giddens, uh, still young, uh, only a redshirt freshman, didn't see the field at all last year, even in the bowl game, which we were, Ace and I were really hoping that we'd see some DJ Giddens, and instead we got Jackson Dean at running back, which was a f- excellent consolation prize, I will say. <laughs> but Had to save ourselves there. Mm. But, yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it was pretty obvious what BA was going to say. It's just, hey, the competition for RB2. Because I feel like RB2 is really going to be 2A, 2B. So that point, you don't really need to talk about who RB3 is going to be. Because the options there are Weathers is gone, the James White, Jordan Shippers. That's it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't think of anyone else. Might be missing a walk-on there. Jax Deneen probably gets thrown in there. Um, just because he was the backup running back for the bowl game, so I'd imagine they'd feel comfortable playing him there. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's probably that there's not a ton behind Giddens and Frias at all. But yeah. Yeah. So next up is Connor Riley with my favorite position to talk about the offensive line. And the first thing he said was the first two things he said actually was that he wants eight or nine guys who are able to play for any given game, which, you know, more is always preferable to less. What is he going to say? Nope, I only want my starting five. Everyone else can go kick rocks. (laughs) (laughs) I, but having eight or nine guys, because Connor and I were talking, have talked about basically the entire 
offseason that having that sixth swing guy is one of the most important underrated positions that you can have on a team. Originally, we thought the swing guy was going to be KT. Now we're not sure about that. But just whoever that sixth guy is going to be, I think is probably going to be remarkably important. But having the other guys that can come in and basically play, you know, we have a backup guard, backup tackle, swing guy, wherever they want to play. So just having that depth is going to be really cool. And most interestingly was he said he didn't know who the starting five was. And this didn't come across to me as him as coach speak. It came across to me as, yeah, I, I have a, like an idea of who's going to play what position. I don't necessarily know in what order other than Cooper B being Christian Duffy and Poitiers. So basically just having, it's been the same way that we've talked about it the entire off season. It's that, yeah, we have a pretty good idea of who three of five is going to be. One's a complete guess. And then one, we thought we had a better idea on it than we actually did. Yeah. Because uh, we were very confident that we were, that it would be on the left side, it would be uh, Andrew uh, Langang on left tackle, kicking Cooper Beebe into left guard in his more natural spot. But that may not necessarily be the case, um, just because he did spend a lot of time talking about KT uh, at left tackle, uh, as well as uh, Langang and Cooper Beebe. But you know you may you might end up seeing BB at left tackle and KT uh, at left guard or uh, flip those two or you see Langang uh, in place of KT. You truthfully, it's probably going to be a spot that rotates a lot, kind of yeah. like last year Ben Adler uh, rotated out quite a bit with uh, Panzer, sometimes Gillum, Logan Long rotated in for uh, Christian Duffy quite a bit. Um, so I'd imagine that we'll see um, uh, both Lion Gang and uh, KT Leviston. But it is encouraging to hear so much about KT Leviston. But he did um, single out someone who I was not expecting him to single out, which was Drake Beckwith, the uh, true freshman. It uh, didn't seem like there was like eminent playing time for him or anything. But he did mention that he thought he was going to be really, really good. And which that was... Something that we kind of started to pick up on when we were doing our recruiting rankings, where we didn't rank him in the top five or anything, but we did watch his film and realize that he was a lot better than we originally thought that he was, because yeah. he he truly had some really, really solid film, and uh, I, I was very surprised to see that, but then again, also surprised to hear this from Connor Riley so no. soon. Who is stingy with compliments, yes. to say the least. Yeah. He, is notori- he is notoriously stingy. Uh, with his compliments, because he also did mention a uh, a walk on by name, uh, Michael Capria, um, who I is either a true freshman or a redshirt freshman. I think he's a true. And he got mentioned as being incredibly strong and athletic. I think he mentioned at like six one, three hundred pounds. He has like a twenty nine inch vertical, which is ridiculous. That that's like elite, borderline elite combine numbers. Yeah, like. And you don't hear 29 is like, oh, that's elite. He's 300 pounds. <laughs> that's a, yeah, that's the thing. For the position he's playing, that is incredible. Um, and it's also great to hear for a guy that's coming in. Uh, again, you know, somebody who I don't think anyone expects to play this year. But it, it's interesting to hear Riley 
talk about young guys more freely, I think, than he has in the past. Lane Gang kind of started uh, the trend of him like really getting excited about some younger guys, um, it seems like. But interesting to hear about young guys with uh, Beckwith and Capria. Yeah. And the final two notes are Jalen Clem. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah. Could have told you that. <laughs> I, I also could have told you that. <laughs> but the most consequential other than KT was Taylor Poitier is very, very good, which we heard last year. But he's only he's knocking the rust off because he hasn't played for a year and a half. So he just needs to knock that rust off. And he, Connor Riley, seemed, he kind of glowed a little bit when he was talking about Poitier. Or Poitier. Poitier? I say Poitier. Poitier. Um, Neither here nor there. That kind of rhymes. But (laughs) he seemed very, very excited to talk about him. So I'd say he's pretty well slotted in at right guard. So right side of the line is solved. It's right guard Poitier and right tackle Christian Duffy. Who's had the most consecutive starts out of any yeah, K-State player? That's a fun fact that we just we learned K-State trivia. Mm-hmm. We got second. We lost on a tiebreaker. Tie on a tiebreaker. Because one of the one of the questions. I'm sorry to take this aside. I just think it's funny. All right. Um, one of the questions was who leads K-State history for rushing attempts? Was it in a career or a season? A career. It was a career. And we all three looked at each other and said, oh, it has to be Connor Riley. Colin but Klein. Colin Klein. Colin Klein. Uh, Colin Klein. Can you tell when we're recording this? <laughs> it has to be Colin Klein. But the friend we were there with, Lucas, and I both look at Connor like as a joke. He's like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it was L. Roberson, Lamau? No, it's, it's Connor Riley. <laughs> Lo and behold, it was L. Roberson. And that's the question that lost us the tiebreaker. <laughs> Which was a shame. That could have happened to anybody. <laughs> but you know what? I don't really care. Uh, it was enjoyable. I like, like the hats we got better. We did. The first set. We, I mean, we got some prizes of like a million frisbees. <laughs> but anyway, that pretty much wraps up the Connor Riley segment, who probably had the most to say out of any of the position coaches. Because Brian LePac and Thad Ward both kind of didn't say much. <laughs> LePac especially didn't really say a whole lot. He did say that he doesn't think that there's a tight end one at the moment, which I I guess I could believe. Um, I think yeah. it'll. I think most people think it's going to be Sammy Wheeler, but Connor Fox is a junior, and uh, if he can stay healthy, is probably going to get close to tight end one snaps yeah. with how much we run to tight end. So. I, I can see where he's coming from, but it, it seems maybe like a technicality. Um, he also mentioned, though, that tight end and fullback are basically interchangeable in the offense, which is funny to think about uh, like Connor Fox and Jax Deneen playing the same position. It's weird, but yeah, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah, and then uh, he did also mention that Jax is fullback one, which obviously, for any cultured fan of K-State, Jacksonine is the, the cult hero yeah. of the last four years and uh, the, the the man that is the bowling ball on the yeah. field. And I, I, I love, I went back and watched the West Virginia game 
uh, a few days ago. Where he killed someone on a block. Yeah, he, he just absolutely ran over an individual, <laughs> and it was very satisfying to watch. I'll say. Yeah, Jax is probably like the true fullback one. Like if there's a like we have an eye formation, he's the up back. Um, not the up back. That's the running back, but the fullback. Ben Sinnott's probably H back, wing tight end guy. And the Y tight end's probably Sammy Wheeler. Y tight end is typically what you think of when you think of tight end. It's probably going to be Sammy Wheeler or Connor Fox. Yeah. But yeah. And then Thad Word. Thad Ward. Thad Word? Thad Word. The kerning on his release image was very bad. I thought it said Thad Word the first time. <laughs> oh, that would have been really funny if we did get a head coach that just went by a single name. Yeah. <laughs> like, a, like a like a Brazilian soccer player. <laughs> <laughs> the artist formerly known as Prince. <laughs> but basically, the, the funny thing and probably, I'm not going to say the most notable thing that happened, but the little background thing that <laughs> it fell down in the middle of him talking. Yeah, yeah, like the thing that has like K-State and the Power Cat and then it has like the sponsor on it's purple, like that got blown down by the wind. Yeah. Must have been a very windy day when they uh, uh, were filming these. And they also did them outside, which was a little interesting. Yeah. But you know, Credit to Thad Ward. He handled it like a pro, didn't acknowledge it, but it was very funny. Uh, he may not have noticed. He may not have noticed. Which is unlikely. It's but... unlikely, but he handled it like a pro no matter what. Mm-hmm. He kind of reiterated the fact that R.J. Garcia is going to be very good. I thought called him R.J. Sneed. R.J. Garcia <laughs> is very good. You know, he's learning. The young guy is probably on the up and up. Then he mentioned Xavier Lloyd. He got a shout-out as well, who mm-hmm. was, I believe, alongside Ty Bowman, one of the three walk-ons who got a NIL deal to pay for their college. Which yeah, I think so. It was, it was XL, Bowman, and then I... Wasn't it Zenit? Uh, was I think it was Zentner. Zentner. It was Zentner. Legatron. Yeah, it was. It was interesting to hear Xavier Lloyd uh, get a shout-out as a walk-on. Yeah. Um, definitely wasn't expecting him to get a shout-out along with RJ Garcia, who has been getting so much love. Um, but hopefully uh, a sign of bigger things to come for Xavier Lloyd. Uh, again, I wouldn't put many expectations on it, but he could be somebody that maybe sees the field uh, in certain points, uh, maybe situationally. But yeah. uh, he does have a good frame. He has really long arms, uh, which that kind of seems to be the mold they've been going for with walk-on receivers, which is basically tall guys with long arms that they might be able to teach how to do a few things. So Yeah, and good special teams, guys. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then the final thing that Thad Ward talked about was the strength of the culture that K-State had built, which, to go back to what Kleiman said, this was kind of the first time that he has openly admitted, at least to my memory, that the <laughs> the culture in 2020 was not good. This is the first yeah. time to my mind that he's openly admitted that without like being asked about it. Mm-hmm. And just hearing Thad Ward saying that he loves how the culture has been established here and how it's a hardworking culture, how people are expected to get in early, and they do. I think that that's really telling of the program type that Chris Kleiman has built at K-State, mm-hmm. which I you can call it cheesy all you want. Culture is one of the most important parts of any football team because if you build a winning culture, you're not only winning with the players you have there, you're winning as a team. You're winning for a future. It's why bad teams tend to stay bad. 
and why good teams tend to stay good. Because they have a working formula, they have a culture, they have something they're working towards. So hearing that that's developed, especially in such a short time and how bad it was in 2020, it's kind of an open secret. I mean, we're not giving away like any big mm-hmm. secret. It was an open secret that the 2020, among everything else that was happening, the locker room culture was an absolute mess. Yeah, um, it was pretty easy to tell, especially as the season ended, when there were so many players out for the Texas game and motivation just seemed to be in the gutter, it really seemed like. Um, it, it was tough to watch uh, at times, uh, but it, it, it isn't surprising to, to hear more and more that it, it was a, a really rough year beyond just COVID uh, in the locker room. So it, it's telling, but it is also then, like you said, encouraging to hear uh, Thad Ward, a newcomer uh, to the team, talk about how good the culture actually is. So um, again, you know, it could just be coach speak, it, probably at least to some degree is. Yeah. But there is still most likely a kernel of truth to that, especially because that is something that we hear very consistently uh, over the last uh, two years now, two seasons, uh, with like with last year and now this year. Um, uh, the culture has been much improved. There's a lot more uh, veteran leadership. Guys like Cade Warner uh, have, and Deuce Vaughn have been good leaders, it seems like. But um, it's good to hear um, compared to how things uh, have been in the past. Yeah, absolutely. And this is going to be a little bit of a shorter episode because that's pretty much all we have to say in terms of K-State news other than K-State women's soccer had two exhibition games. One against Missouri State, which they won. Was it, it was 1-0. 1-0. And then one against Wyoming, which they lost. Was it 2-0? 2-1. That's it. Yeah. there, there was like I don't think there was a stream available. I didn't really see stats or anything. They just kind of happened, yeah. And that's it, pretty much. Which, all right, that's fine. Right, fair enough. Um, cool. <laughs> yeah. But now, everyone's favorite, the wacky segment of the week, which for the news segment, it's just the background thing falling down for Thad Ward's press conference. Seriously, go watch the video. Not only because Thad Ward is ridiculously charismatic without even really trying to be. Like, I enjoyed his press conference, even though he didn't say that much. But (laughs) just watch it. There's something eternally funny to me about things going wrong in the background and just people not acknowledging them. That will always be hilarious to me. But in terms of the question wacky segment of the week, it is pick a third down song to be played at Bill Snyder Family Stadium to pump up the defense at least twice per game. And I know you have your answer. I do. I have my answer as well. Would you like to go first? Um, yeah, I'll go first. I don't normally go first for wacky segment, um, but mine is uh, a, a song off the soundtrack of the game Doom Eternal. I've not actually played this game. I've just heard the soundtrack <laughs> because it's just heavy metal. When the Doom music hits, yeah, it's this particular track is called "The Only Thing They Fear Is You," and it's it really is just like I forget how long it is, but it, it's just a straight shot of adrenaline. I remember the first time I heard it, I was—I had been like, I was just sitting in my house, I think, and like my heartbeat increased like significantly, like just, just sitting there listening to it. I, like, I, I truly felt like I could do almost anything just listening to that. So we just need to put that on and blare it for the defense to like make our third down defense like a little bit more efficient this year, I think. 
Also, the we'll the only numbers. the only possible negative effect that we could have is we could see more Daniel Green targeting penalties this year <laughs> if we play it. I think Daniel Green turns someone into dust. He might. <laughs> he almost did that to Jason Bean last year. So, <laughs> granted, that was like one of the only times they had a big hit that wasn't actually targeting. Yeah, <laughs> so, like, that was just a great hit. Yeah. So my answer would be adding on to the fact that they play Abracadaver, the riff from Abracadaver, which is a COD Zombies song. I was honestly split. I was going to pick a COD Zombies song no matter what. It was split between three for me. Paradolia, which is this... I, okay, how much of Zombies did you play? Basically Black Ops 2, and that's about it. Well, none of the songs I'm going to name are from that game. So, one is Paradalia, one was Dead Ended, and the other was 115. You've heard 115 before. Yeah. I ended up finally settling on Dead Ended, which, just because it's it's not like an insanely up-tempo song, but it still has like a certain degree of, of hype to it. it, it's very hard to describe music and why it works, but... That'd definitely be a song that if I was on the field, it'd get me hyped up. Uh, <laughs> I'll have to have you listen to something after the episode. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that pretty much wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. If you want to contact the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Aggieville A Cats. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are AggievilleAlleyCats at gmail.com. If you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at ACEdward00. I am at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. And if you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out the official Aggieville Alley Cats merch store, excuse me, where you can find such designs as Neon Alley Cats, Play Sandstorm Cowards, and Doom Tank Clan. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.